Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here always, Chris Flaming, And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Ashley Guernaccini to the show. She has found at Cause Law knowing that good legal representation is not a one-size-fits-all approach. With their flat fee billing system and service that goes above and beyond expectations, they assist clients with their estate and business needs in a professional, responsive, and down-to-earth manner. Ashley, hi. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Yeah. So I was checking you out on the website, not stalking you. I was looking on your <laughs> professional website, and uh, you have kind of an interesting history. So maybe take me through uh, what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. You know, I was actually thinking about that last night. I, it popped into my head, you know, how I got to where I am, because initially when I decided to go into law, I wasn't initially thinking with estate planning. Mm-hmm. It was more like I, I went to college um, and then I took a lot of philosophy classes and I really liked legal philosophy or I liked being able to kind of formulate certain arguments or post certain viewpoints that maybe could help people. Mm. So naturally, initially I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll do litigation. Maybe I can, you know, help people if, if they're in trouble or if they need help that way. But as with many things in life, once you actually start doing it, you yeah. realize eh, maybe that's not so much for me. But the interesting thing was my my actual reason for wanting to do law in the first place was really to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my big drive. I wanted to be able to do something so Estate planning actually really just seemed very natural in that regard, because it is honestly, I believe, the best investment that a person can make. Um, Not only does it help them during their life and it also gives them peace of mind, but it also helps with, you know, their children or whoever they plan on leaving their assets to or whoever is going to be in their life, you know, in their later years. It makes things so much easier. And I feel like it's... You know, to me, it's more rewarding than winning some big trial or something, because every day I get to see many, many people who Mm. um, are just so relieved, you know, once they Mm -hmm. uh, have an estate plan in place and their families are relieved. And then I get to stay in contact with them because they call me. Things change over the years. I help them with their changes. So Mm -hmm. it builds more of sort of like a family atmosphere, Mm -hmm. um, which I love. And it's definitely fulfilling that need that I feel like I'm really helping people. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll get into some of the details on how you do that here in a little bit. So I'm curious if you could go back in time and give the younger Ashley some advice, something, you know, (laughs) something, you know, now that you wish you knew when you started out, what would that be? You know, it's funny. One thing law school is really good at is sort of instilling a fear in in you Um, and not, not that, 
you know, it definitely is a profession that you have to be very, very mindful of what you're doing. And you always want to be doing things in the best interest for your clients. So I'm not suggesting at all that you do anything, um, you know, unethical or something that you shouldn't do. However, there's so many rules and so many things you have to follow that when I first came out of law school, I think my, my biggest detriment was I didn't have full confidence in myself and I didn't really trust um, my knowledge or my actions. And, and you also kind of get in your head that like, oh gosh, I haven't been practicing for very long. So are people really going to trust me? Are people really going to believe I know what I'm talking about? So really, I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities that I didn't take mm. and a lot of things that I knew were right. Um, and I didn't do because of that fear, because I wasn't mm-hmm. super self-confident. So if there's one piece of advice I could give to myself, it would be like, you know, just go back. Um, don't do anything stupid, of course, but follow what you know, you know, what you know is true is true. Do it. There's very few things that even if it doesn't turn out exactly how you want it, they can't be fixed anyway. So just having that confidence um, just would have really helped me a lot when I Mm. first started my practice. I think they put a name on that term that you're describing. Uh, I think they call it imposter syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and I think a lot of people in, in service professions, struggle with that because they don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to screw it up. And um, that does hold them back. Um, That's a tough thing to overcome, but it sounds like you have. So you touched on this a little bit. How did you come to choose the the main focuses of your practice? Generally, there aren't, unless you're in maybe a small town, there aren't just general practitioner attorneys that do everything. Um, Most of the time, people pick some kind of a special year and avenue. So how did you, how did you do that? Or what, what was the reason for that? How'd you choose it? Yeah, you know, so interestingly enough, I I started um, pretty early on in my career with doing business law, Hmm. um, which we still, the practice still does business law. But what would end up happening is I would work with business owners and inevitably, especially entrepreneurs or people who are really starting, you know, something for themselves and for them and for their family. I was noticing um, time and time again that they didn't have what we call succession planning. You know, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to the business if they're not around. And they also didn't have estate plans in place, which is super important, especially for business owners, because if you're a one man show or you just have a couple of people in your office with you, um, if something happens to you, it could be totally devastating, right? Mm-hmm. It could be devastating you know, to your family. Um, the business could just totally go under. So I initially just start, started seeing this need in that particular area. Like there's this whole other aspect that really needs to be handled in your life in order for your business to flourish and in order for you not to be stressed about it. Um, but then once I started doing the estate planning, mainly for business owners, uh, I really quickly found out that I really loved it, mm-hmm. um, was very, got, became very passionate about it. So then that caused me to want to do it on a much larger scale, uh, do it with people in different tax brackets. I started mm-hmm. taking lots more classes or continuing legal education classes that we can take to learn more about it. Um, and eventually it really became my biggest passion in the law. So when I opened the practice here in, uh, in 20, 2020, I quickly incorporated estate planning and it's been our largest division um for quite a quite some time now yeah and there is there is that connection you touched on between business owners with succession planning and an estate um one of those being what happens to you with the business but then they have assets and they got to figure out on a personal level what they 
want done with those and to do that in a intelligent way. So what do you think maybe is the biggest misconception that people have about what you do or, or what you can do? What do you what do you come across? That's a great question. So I feel like and you kind of touched on this earlier about, you know, maybe a general practitioner in smaller areas who might be a one stop shop. From my experience, it is very rare to find sort of a jack of all trades and an attorney. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much to know about every area of the law that it is virtually impossible to know it all, of course, or to know it all well. You know, you might know a little bit about a bunch of things, which is oftentimes not super helpful, um, at least not as helpful as it is to know a lot about one or two or three practice areas. So the biggest misconception that I find is when someone knows you're an attorney, um, they kind of automatically think you can answer or should be able to answer any legal question. So I find this a lot. um, And I have this big urge to help too. So I want to be able to help people. But as an example, if somebody contacts me with a criminal law question or Mm -hmm. something about a lawsuit, I'm not really going to be able to answer those questions like an attorney would be who's practicing in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so I see, I think the biggest misconception is just thinking like, as long as you're an attorney, you should be able to advise anyone in any area because that's definitely not true. Right, right. Well, and that's probably leads you to the same conclusion that I come to, which is I don't want anyone really to know at dinner parties what I do. (laughs) <laughs> because then you get true. all the questions, <laughs> you get all the questions, uh, Bitcoin or whatever, right? So yes, uh, at the gym, at a dinner party, any right. anytime you're just kind of getting introduced to somebody, they, they definitely always have a question, and it's usually not in my practice area. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so let's jump in a little bit to uh, areas of expertise. Um, you alluded to that. So what's maybe an easy way to explain why a comprehensive estate plan? is important for someone to have? What what does it accomplish? Yeah, I think it really accomplishes two very important goals and they go hand in hand. And honestly, they apply to pretty much anyone, uh, any age bracket. Mm-hmm. So most of us, when we think of an estate plan, we think about where we want our assets to end up, you know, um, when we're no longer around, who gets our stuff? Is it our kids? Is it our friends? Is it a combination of people? Um, So, of course, an estate plan handles that where you get to put your wishes on paper and you're not, you know, leaving it up to the court system or just, you know, there's certain rules that happen. For example, if you die without a will in place or without a trust in place, the law says your assets go to certain people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might not be what you want. So, number one, it's going to put a plan in place that clearly states what you want to have happen with all the stuff that you've accumulated during your life. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect, which I think is even more important, honestly, than the assets is we do a lot of healthcare planning. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of health directives that come in a comprehensive estate plan. Mm -hmm. And those are documents where you get to state your wishes for what's going to happen to you medically, right? So if you're 
here in a scenario could be an end of life scenario, right? Um, do you want to be in the hospital for several months hooked up to machines? Or do you want to be at home with your family and, you know, have things be more natural when it's coming towards your end of life? Mm -hmm. Um, It it also allows you to list a person who can make medical decisions for you if you're unable to. Um, And I've seen more horror stories for people not having those documents in place um, than I have, honestly, for not having a plan for your assets. Um, And then, of course, finally, one other aspect to bring up, which is super important for anyone who has children under the age of 18, is you 100% want to have what we call guardianship uh, sections or guardianship provisions in your agreements. And those are sections that simply say, if anything happens to you, who's going to take care of your kids? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's honestly the most valuable thing in most people's lives, right? When they do have minor children. So it's really, really important for you to be able to put your wishes on who's going to take care of them both physically and financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you touched there on what you would probably call your core documents being the healthcare surrogate and maybe the healthcare power of attorney. So are are there some other things that you kind of consider as being core documents um, that people would have with their estate plan in addition to those two things? Definitely. Uh, In fact, I think probably one of the most, if not the most important documents is what's called a durable power of attorney. Mm. Uh, We use the word durable because it lasts through incapacitation. So Mm -hmm. later on in life, if somebody does become incapacitated, this power of attorney um, is still in full force and effect. Mm -hmm. And why that document is so important is there are so many things in life that only we can do, you know, as Mm -hmm. an example, um, nobody can open a bank account for you or close one. Uh, People can't talk to a credit card company for you on your behalf. If you're the only one on that credit card bill, they won't talk to anyone, even if it's your spouse. Um, And of course, there's other more significant legal things like signing a deed if you want to sell a home Mm -hmm. or setting up a trust. Maybe you need to do Medicaid planning and a trust needs to be set up for you in order to accomplish that goal. These are all things that if you end up being at some point in your life incompetent, incapacitated, unable to do these things, it could be so harmful for both you and your family. But if you have a durable power of attorney in place, it allows you to appoint another person It's called your agent. And this agent is able to do all these things that normally only you can do. And it really makes life infinitely easier for both you and the agent, your family. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great explanation of that. And that kind of leads into my next question. In your experience working with clients, what do you see or what have you pinpointed as maybe the most overlooked area or blind spots that they don't realize or see the exposure that they have that you help them correct? Honestly, well, especially with estate planning, the Mm -hmm. biggest blind spot is we're healthy. Everything's fine. We don't need to do it right now. I'm invincible. Yes, exactly. That's, that's a big thing. And you know, it's, it's funny. It's, (laughs) there's a saying, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Oddly enough, I have seen this time and time again in practice, it tends, it tends to be that people who are prepared for something, they prepare for the worst. 
the worst tends not to happen. Um, unfortunately, I will see people in my office um, that really just, you know, we're going to do what we know we need to do, what we know it's super important, um, but just not right now, or I don't want to think about this stuff right now, or, mm-hmm. oh, we have to put a new roof on our house, or we have to right. get married. We're going to do these other things first. And right. I've actually, I've been in practice long enough to unfortunately see people put these documents off and then they put them off too long, whether it's the medical documents. And then once you get to a point where you become incapacitated, you can no longer sign any of these documents. So you can't get them in place. Um, So I've seen that happen where people can live many, many years and really need help, but they don't have the proper documents in place. Or unfortunately, I've also seen it where people have been, we're going to do the estate plan. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Um, It never gets done. And then, someone passes away and then we're we're going through the court system through probate in order to distribute their assets which is infinitely more stressful and way more expensive than having your estate plan in place yeah it takes a long time and even longer since the pandemic yeah definitely um okay so let's let's touch a little bit on trust uh a trust is can be a vehicle for, for estate planning purposes um, to avoid the probate proceedings and for your wishes to be carried out after you pass away. So many people, though, they think, well, I set up all these documents and I might create a trust. But then uh, oftentimes people forget to fund uh. the trust. OK, <laughs> so maybe just take us through why that's really important to actually fund the trust once it's created. Yes, definitely. I'm laughing because our office, we're, we're kind of, we're very vigilant on following up with people and even taking over the funding when needed. Yeah. Um, because yeah, if you create a, cr- a trust that you don't fund and by funding it, it simply means you're actually transferring your yeah. assets out of your name and into the name of the trust, mm-hmm. or you can simply name the trust as a beneficiary on mm-hmm. things like bank accounts, um, you know, certain type of investment accounts, possibly yeah. you would just name it as a beneficiary. But if you don't do that, take that extra step, um, your trust, Trust is worthless. I can't tell you how many people come to my office. They think that their trust is in place and that everything's going to go smooth and all the assets are going to be distributed under the trust. And then we get the trust document, we read it, it's great. And then we start finding out that none of the assets, no bank accounts, no re- no retirement account, investment accounts, their house even uh, wasn't actually either properly titled into the trust or listed the trust as a beneficiary. So it's as if no trust exists. Yeah. And, and it happens honestly way more than you would think it would happen. And the funny thing is, is, is often not that difficult. Uh, you, you know, it's a little bit of work because obviously mm-hmm. you have to make a list of everything that you have, every bank account, any mm-hmm. investment account, stocks, bonds, homes, right? You have to make the list so that we can then tell you this is what you do in order to make sure these items are actually inside your trust. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty quick and painless process with most financial institutions, the house we do for people. It you know, doesn't have to take that long and it's, it's super easy. So when we see that happen, uh, it's you know, it's every time it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it because you spend all this effort and work and you pay for your trust, right? Mm -hmm. It's not inexpensive to get a trust set up, but yeah, funding it is the most important part because if you don't do that, it literally is as if you don't have a trust. And you only have to do it once. So only have to do it once. 
just for everyone listening, step one, create the trust. Step two, fund the trust. Exactly. Right. And you know what's really, really easy about once you already have the trust created, if you buy more things, because all of us accumulate more assets in life, well, you already have the trust. Mm-hmm. So you can either buy them directly in the name of the trust or right from the get-go list the trust as a beneficiary. And it's super simple. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you kind of touched on this when you talked about setting it up and, and the costs. I noticed on your web so, uh, website, you guys take uh, an approach to billing that's a little bit different than other legal professionals. So maybe talk to me about that. How did you come to that conclusion and why do you think that's important? You know, it's funny. Um, I worked as an attorney using billable hours for a few years when I first started practicing in Pennsylvania. Um, and then I practiced in California for a very, very long time um, for a corporation. So I was just a corporate attorney. I was their attorney. So I didn't have to do any billable hours. Now, when I started the practice in Florida, I naturally just went back to billable hours because that is the most common way attorneys bill. I really realized early on that it actually wasn't a good system for the client or for me. And and what I mean by that is if I'm getting paid by the amount of hours that I put into whatever your matter is, then I'm going to kind of have this natural inclination, whether I'm admitting it or not, to drag it out, you know, sort of as long as possible, because that's where I'm getting my pay from, right? It's the more hours I put in, you know, the, the more money I'll end up making. Also, I noticed it can be sort of upsetting to a client um, when you have to bill for every email you answer or every call that you take, right? And then a client's just constantly getting these bills for um, you were a, took a three-minute phone call, but you billed 10 minutes or 15 minutes, or you responded to an email, another 10 minutes. All those things sort of add up, right? And it causes uncertainty because the client doesn't know what the, what the final bill is going to be. They never know what the actual price is going to be. And then also for me, I have this really weird tendency. Well, I will, I'll think of things in the middle of the night and I'll just get up and I'll start working. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to do is have to have attention on recording my hours, right? I just want to get the work done because I want to give the best product to the client. Um, so for all of those reasons, and mainly just for the certainty aspect, so a client knows upfront what they're paying, right? This is it. You're not going to get another bill for us. Um, that's what made us switch to the flat fee billing. And our clients honestly rave about it. I haven't had one person complain or ask to go back to hourly billing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, the vast majority of attorneys are ethical, and they would they would keep track of those hours in an ethical way. But there is uh, the existence of a possibility for a conflict of interest, right? Because where oh, it could be where it could be dragged out. So um, we're not accusing anyone of doing that. But we're saying the the conflict of interest potential exists there. Um, and I suppose if you quote like a flat fee, then you've determined about how long you think it will take, but it also uh, incentivizes your team to work diligently and to do it efficiently to get it done in the time that you think it normally would take to do that. Of course, there's exceptions and stuff like that, but you're still um, doing that because you want to run a effective business and you want the, the stuff to get done in an efficient time frame for the clients at the end to have a good result. Okay. Thank you for going through that. I like that. Um, that's very similar when we do financial planning type stuff that's not investment related. 
we do quote like a flat fee for the amount of time that we spend um, to do that. And so the people know about it up front and they know they can email and call us as much as they want during that time frame um, because they know how much it's going to cost exactly. Okay. So yeah. let's switch gears just a little bit, Ashley. If you weren't doing what you are doing now, what would you be doing instead? What, oh, was, wow. your, what was your backup plan? <laughs> Did you have a plan B? Man. Yeah. What was um, it? I'm, I'm going like, I'm initially going back to like my That's childhood, um, you know, where I, my mom was a teacher growing up. So I always had this sort of idea that I would want to be a teacher. Mm. Um, the weird thing is though, before I opened my practice here, I never really, I love I love working in the legal field. I have a passion for it. And I, you know, I love drafting and I, I love being an attorney. So I, I truly love that. But I, I never thought I would have my own business. Um, so I would have to say if I wasn't doing this, I've really grown to love being an entrepreneur. Hmm. So I think I would just have my own business right mm-hmm. and the things that pop into my head uh initially i love food so i'm okay. like oh maybe i would be a restaurant owner mm-hmm. in some neat little island somewhere some exotic place you know and uh and have some you know pop-up restaurant that people love um but i think knowing what i know now from having my own practice it would definitely be something that i started myself my own business okay restaurants high risk a lot of those fail in the first yeah. two or three years. So but yeah. the ones that make it can do really well. All right. That's good. So um, you touched on this in a comment that you just made. So I'm curious going forward, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for your practice? Um, I think mainly, well, talking about the, the flat fee um, mm-hmm. model that we use and you brought up yours as well and having, you know, calls and emails and stuff incorporated into it. Uh, we do the same. So, for example, if somebody does an estate plan with us, they can call and ask us questions for the rest of their life. And there's no mm-hmm. charge for that. If they're just asking us questions. The only time there's ever any kind of an additional fee is if we're doing new documents. Or yeah. Something. Amendments yeah. or something like that. Right. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's um, it's sort of a bit revolutionary, at least in the field of law, not that there's not other attorneys that do flat fee billing, there are, but I feel like the biggest, um, the biggest thing that we have right now towards our growth and our expansion and just sort of flourishing and prospering in the future is the fact that we set up a model where we actually have a long-term relationship with our clients um, because they're not worrying about, oh my gosh, I'm not going to call my lawyer because I'm going to get this big bill. Um, it does keep them with us and with us for a long time. And then they refer friends and family because they mm-hmm. feel safe. Um, they're happy with the service. So I I think just that model alone and, and really staying true to it, we really do provide exceptional service where um, we put our clients at the top. They can call us anytime. They can email. They can even stop in. I think that in and of itself is the biggest growth factor for our particular practice. Okay. Okay. And uh, maybe on the flip side of that, what do you think is your biggest challenge, maybe an obstacle that you're determined to overcome in the business? Yeah, I think probably, um, well, of course, there's, you know, there's lots of attorneys that practice, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest obstacles does have to be um, getting enough of what we do out there, our good works, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So people know and understand a little bit more about us. I mean, we're a newer business. We opened in 2020, right? There's Mm -hmm. been, there's a a state planning attorneys and probate attorneys and business attorneys that have been around a lot longer with much larger practices. And especially when you're 
a, a boutique firm or a smaller firm, I think probably the biggest challenge is competing with the big guys, you know, and letting mm-hmm. people know the type of service that you provide so that people for, feel confident and comfortable coming to you. So it's really just sort of the competition out there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there is a plethora uh, of those. Yeah. I think you have, um, and that's the tough part is the distinguishing or what makes you maybe unique or, or maybe it's in the proposition that you provide that people would want to desire. Okay. I appreciate your honesty there. So um, we're getting close to the end. Uh, Ashley, if, if people want to learn more about you or your practice, or they wanted to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So probably the, the best way would be to go to our website, mm. which is um, www.atcauselaw.com. Okay. So that has, you know, obviously information on how to contact us, but also information about our practice area. There's client reviews. So probably the best way to gain any kind of knowledge about our practice areas and what we do would be by going to the website. Okay. And I failed to mention this in the beginning. You are Florida-based. Your headquarters are in Clearwater. Just for anybody listening, uh, that's an important detail I did not want to leave out. Ashley, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. This was a true pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we hope to raise the financial confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Take care. Be well. Ashley, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.